for listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. Good morning. I've already had a good morning being here with you. Uh, thank you for the joy of coming into your fellowship. Uh, I, I, uh, church is so very important to me, and you take it seriously and joyfully. I mean, I, the part of the joy of being in the South Georgia Conference for me is the fact that um, I lived as a child. I was raised by my grandparents who lived in Bainbridge, Georgia. Any of you familiar with Bainbridge? Have you ever heard of Bainbridge, Georgia? Okay, so I call it the Holy Land. That's where I was raised. And I raised on uh, Mayhaw Jelly. Have you ever heard of Mayhaw Jelly? Well, you know, there are people around the world that consider themselves educated who've never had Mayhaw Jelly. I don't understand how they think they can be educated. So I grew up there. And uh, so they took me to church. And I was living with them, obviously, because of problems in the family. But they took me to church. So when I see these children come forward, I see myself. See how important your church is. And um, thank you for being that church. Made a difference in my life. That's, how I'm, that's why I'm in the United Methodist Church. And Cheryl, uh, God's great gift to me, Cheryl, Cheryl and I have loved uh, these uh, five or so years that we've had a chance to be here. And we're not going to be far away. Our, we have a home in Montgomery, Alabama, where our um, uh, children and our two grandchildren live. I was thinking about this church in 1940 when you were, you were organized. Uh, the, the Garden City Church first met, uh, great history story of, of the church, you met in a tent in 1940. If I were to tell John Philip, our four-year-old grandson, we're going to go to church in a tent, he'd be all over that. He would think that was the greatest idea in the world because we're, we're, we're loving tents. And so I think about the journey from the tent uh, to all these 81 years you've been a church, uh, the buildings that you constructed, and now Memorial Hall. This is a big story. There's a lot that's happened here. And it's been a growing story, and God has been a part of it. Uh, lots of human beings have been, but it wasn't it was more than just human effort. <laughs> there was a lot of want to that came from somewhere, and that was from God's Holy Spirit, bringing people together and driving people forward. And I commend you on that. Uh, this is a great, uh, a, a, a tremendous day to celebrate the building, but also the motivation behind it. The sense of God's stimulating people, the Holy Spirit driving people, this needs to be that way. And so, very excited to be with you. After We're going to actually conclude our service today with an invitation to commitment, an invitation to dedicate ourselves by going out the building, whatever direction you want to go, and meet back in, Memorial, back in Memorial Hall, have the dedication there while we're actually inside that structure. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, you know who you are. yeah, if you're related to a charter member in any way, please stand so we can see that and look around, yeah. Hey, thank you for pointing that out, um, because uh, what I have found in today's world, what people miss so often is connections from one generation to the next, 
And we, this, this church is not a pop-up church. It didn't just pop up yesterday. A lot of people. I mean, when you start in a tent and you wind up with Memorial Hall, somebody's been working at it. And that means the ability to have not a flash-in-the-pan vision, but something that you stay at for a long time and grow and develop. Like, you, you're like one of Eugene Peterson's books, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And that's what you've done. And I'm honored to be with you. Cheryl and I love being with churches that get it like that. And uh, because of that, you're able to be there for people today and for children like me who needed a church home to welcome them in and be part of the healing of Christ in their lives. Now, I also got to say, as much as I appreciate you, I also appreciate the fact you got the, the cabinet and I, we had a good fit with this appointment, wouldn't you say? I mean, Matt Stout, and, um, and as if that were not enough, how about Sarah Beth? And as if that were not enough, how about um, Ruth and Olivia and Roger? That, that, that'll rev your engines right there, you know. So if I can just get Ruth to come out of her shell. I mean, you know, she's... <laughs> but isn't it beautiful? I was looking on your website, and uh, they, their picture is on there, and I was thinking, if I were looking around for a church, I look at a website, the first thing that comes up under your meet, meet our church and meet our staff, you see their picture, and they're charming. And then right, then Debbie. What, Debbie on your church staff? Is Debbie here? De Debbie, Debbie. You look at Debbie's face and you say, there's a happy person. <laughs> Have you ever known anybody that said to you, I'm looking for an unhappy church. Could you direct me to one? I just want to be with people that, that are unhappy. I can take care of that myself. But, but the, the witness of Christ is in the faces and the family and on your website. And, y'all, that's so very important in today's world. Uh, so I'm so grateful for Matt and Sarah Beth and their family. Uh, he is extremely capable. But you know one of the things I appreciate about Matt Stout? I, I, there's a, I, I, like, I try to tell folks, there's only two things you have to do as a pastor. <laughs> Preach an A sermon every Sunday and be the good shepherd. <laughs> you know? You know what I mean? You know, the, study the Bible. And preach and teach and do that in a way that, that the meaning of it comes out. Don't, don't just slop through it. Like, but, but let us know you worked at it. But then be the good shepherd. Tend the flock. Uh, and he believes in that. And that doesn't fail because Christ called this church together to be that people, to be that flock. And so thank you for your affirmation of, of this family of yours. And I thank them for the fact that they uh, very quickly already have had this sense of, um, of being connected. Now, let me tell you what. When, when somebody runs into you the day before Sunday and you're trying to feel religious, <laughs> I don't know about you, but when, you're, when, you're, when you T-bone me, I don't feel religious. Oh, I'm so sorry. God bless you. This is, I mean, it's just the fact that they're able to function today. Because that's emotionally trying. We've had that happen to us. And I know that you understand that too. There, there's some emotional trauma involved there. But I'm glad we're here because when we come together on Sunday, we come just as we are. And it may have been a great week, or it may have been a week of grief or hurt 
or despair. But the fact that we come is our way of saying, I trust the one who meets me there and said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. And uh, that's why we've come together today. So um, before I read the passage, this is actually the continuation. Matt, Matt prayed earlier today for revelation in the service, for God to, Jesus to reveal himself in the word read and, and proclaimed it in the words and music of the, and it, the, the music is beautiful. Great job, y'all. Excellent. Every, every, the children's minute. I wish I'd thought of that with children. Bring a bill and tell them they cut the water off if you forget this. I've had that happen too. And tear it up. This is a good thing. It's what we're going to do with the mortgage. This is a good thing. Well, what a great way to connect that. So this is a good, but the revelation, Matt, started for me a year ago. When my nephew, I have three sisters, all younger, and uh, one of them had a son, Jeffrey, and Jeffrey, uh, orthodontist in Auburn, Alabama, and um, uh, Jeffrey and Shay had a baby, and so they asked me, would you come be a part of the baptism of, of our, my, my nephew asked, would you come be the part of the baptism of our baby? Well, I'll be glad to. My friend Corey Smith is the pastor of Auburn United Methodist Church. He invited me to come, and he said, not only for baptism, he said, why don't you preach that Sunday? I said, Corey, that would be wonderful. So then, thinking about all the sisters together, all the family, we're going to, the little baby will go to baptize. This is a great family moment, and we'll be with the church family here. And one of the, one of the uh, disciplines that I use in my own life is called the Christian, called the lectionary, which is what Christians around the world have this thing called the lectionary, which is where you take the Bible, and over a three-year period, you read every Sunday, and really there's a daily lectionary too. You read a gospel lesson, a New Testament lesson, Old Testament lesson, and a psalm. And I study that so that I'll have a biblical discipline in my life. Study it every day. Another reason I like to study the lectionary and preach from it many times is that it will force me to deal with passages I would otherwise not choose. I don't know if you know what I mean, but there are some that I would just not naturally be Say, oh, yippee, let me jump in on that one. And so it forces me to have to look at some passages. I've had a lot of those have happened over the years. So, so when they said well, a year ago, won't you come baptize the baby and preach? Naturally, I, I know that church uses the lectionary, so I consulted the lectionary. Now, I'm thinking about the little baby. His name is Tripp. Jeffrey Allen Shelley III, Tripp. I'm thinking about holding Tripp and all the warmth of that moment. And all the love of the church family. And all my sisters out there. All of us together. And this was what the lectionary had for me on that Sunday. If another member of the church sins against you. Go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you. 
For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I just knew I couldn't preach on that. Does this sound like an infant baptism passage for you? What about Jesus? What about Jesus in the temple like right here? What about Jesus in the manger like right here? What about let the children come to me? Such is the kingdom of God. You're not going to stand before everybody and have that little baby and say, if a member of the church sins against you. <laughs> Believe me, I know these people. They will. <laughs> you give them time. <laughs> you can just go on, just unpack that and get everybody ticked off at you. And so I did, you know, what I try to do when the lectionary forces me to deal with something I don't want to deal with. I decide I can't do that. The problem with Scripture is it can burrow itself into us and refuse to go away. And this one did that. As much as I tried to shake it, much as I tried to get away from it, much as I tried to explain it away, it simply would not go away. It kept coming back. It kept, the Holy Spirit said, this is it. And I kept, no, I said to the Spirit, this can't be it. Don't you understand about infants and baptism and babies and children? And this is stuff... And it kept coming back and back because, um, you know, um, first, uh, the objection I thought of is um, this is about somebody in the church uh, who sins against you. Uh, go and point it out or the two of you are alone. If, if that person listens to you, fine. If not, take some others with you. And all of us does what I said to the Holy Spirit is I can't read this because everybody knows it doesn't work that way. Uh, maybe it did in Jesus' day. But the way it works for us today, you know this. If somebody ticks you off, put it on Facebook. <laughs> Am I right? That's what we do. If somebody messes you up, get on Twitter and tweet all over the place for it. And have lots of followers that, that jump in, pile on like that. Or at the very least, email everybody you know about it. And let them pass it on. And we love it when it go, we call it going viral. Let everybody know they ticked me off. That's the way. We don't, nobody's going to go one-on-one -on -one and talk to somebody about that. We don't, we don't deal with those who have wronged us in that way. We don't deal with conflict in that way. And then the second part of it is a problem, too. Uh, if, um, if they won't listen to you, take a couple of others with you. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. I can just see that. I'm going to take with me people who are already on my side? Am I likely to take people who might tell me I'm wrong when they talk to you? So how's the person going to perceive this? This is now three bullies. This is going to feel like bullying somebody. And, and so as a result, no wonder people stay away from this passage because it seems so unworkable. It's not the way we deal with things. It would lead to all kinds of disruption. You can hear the shouting matches that would be going on. So we just can't do it. So I kept wrestling with this. And with the scripture, wrestling with the Bible, with what Jesus was saying. And somewhere, when, when, the, script, when the scripture really begins to get a, a, a toe, a, 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 gets a, a, a head, whole headlock on you and wrestle you to the ground, somewhere the idea began, the question began to emerge in my mind, what if Jesus got it right? And then the question was, what, it's not so much about going and doing this right now. But the question was, where could you find people who could do something successfully like this? 
Where could you find people who could lean in to polarization and differences and conflict and not make it worse? Where could you find somebody you could take with you into a touchy situation and they would be a balance that they would add to that, not just your defender and your protector? Where do you find people like that? And then the answer came to me, you don't find them. <laughs> they don't exist. They do not occur naturally. <laughs> they don't just pop up in the garden. But what Jesus came to do, what the early church knew so well is, while you can't find people who can do this, so don't rush out and try it right now. You can't find people who can do this. You can grow people who can do this. And when Jesus called people to follow him, he was inviting them to step out of how things had been done. The polarization, the ugliness, the violence, the conflict perpetuated from generation to generation and step in to a new kind of seed plot where you grow people who absolutely have the inner confidence, I can ha I'm not going to make it worse. I'm not going to wilt under this. I'm going to lean into it, and I don't have to beat up everybody in the process. We're going to find the Holy Spirit guiding us through this. Yeah, how do you grow people? Well, I'll tell you how the early church did that. In the early Christian church, there were three questions that were of paramount importance. One was, do, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin. Renounce. The second question was, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church? which is made up of people of all ages, nations, and races. And the third question was, will you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever ways they present themselves? Those may sound a little bit familiar. Today, we call those the baptism vows, but we didn't make them up. In the early Christian church, many people who came to be followers of Jesus had been a part of pagan cults. They'd worship all manner of things. So before they confessed Jesus, the first thing they had to do was say no to something. That's why the question is, do you renounce all of that which is opposed to God? I don't know what your understanding of evil is, but I'll tell you this. I'm absolutely certain of this. There is that in life which is opposed to God. Would you agree? You color it any way you want to call it. Use whatever language you want. Satan, adversary. I'm just telling you, there's that in life. It's not all the wrong in the world. It's not just you and me ticking everybody off, right? There's something bigger going on. And Paul talked about, I know what's right to do, but I can't do it. There's that which is opposed to God. And so since 2,000 years ago, people have come into the Christian faith first by renouncing, by saying no <laughs> to all that which is opposed to God. I discovered early, have you, ever, have you ever renounced any? One of the questions to ask today is, have I ever renounced anything? Is there anything to which I will say a firm, emphatic no, early, uh, several years ago, or well, kind of early, early in my life, really, I, I had to, to understand that since I was raised in a family with spouse abuse and child abuse, domestic violence to me is not just a general topic that we really, we should do better than that. I've been there. I've called the police to the house to break up fights, but I know about it. And so I also know I'm predisposed, you know what I'm talking about, to perpetuate that in my life. I know ways to be angry. I know ways to be ugly. I know ways to beat on people physically. I, I saw it play, but I was raised. I know words to use that can hurt people. So I have to consciously make a choice to say no. 
to renounce the environment in which I was raised. Because it's there. You know, that's the thing we say about history. It's not that history is dead and gone. History is not dead and buried. It's, it's not even dead. <laughs> it's alive. So I invite you today to think about, is there something I need to renounce in my life? And it's different for everybody. This is something that, that can, can, continues to get me. <laughs> and I just need to say no. And then when we said no, we say yes to Jesus Christ. But I can't add on Jesus to the way things are. I gotta say no. Now confess Christ as my Savior and unite myself with the church. The Apostle Paul, you remember, was a man of violence. That's how he described himself. He persecuted the church. Once he became a follower of Christ, he saw the church as the place you come together. You want to be with those people. And in Ephesians, he writes, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. You find this in Galatians and many of his letters, but all are one in Christ. So the church becomes this group of people who said no to something evil and who've come together to be that group that grows Matthew 18 people, the ones that we're reading about earlier. That's the beauty to me of dedicating a building. Why, why is it worth having a building? Why is it worth having children's ministry, youth ministry, sing, preach, have church? Because we're growing something you're not going to find growing naturally. We're growing Matthew 18 people who know they have the inner confidence. You can send me into situations where everything's crossed up. <laughs> and I'm not going to go in and fall one way or the other and choose sides. I'm going to help find openings for Jesus Christ. So then that third one is about being resistance fighters. Will you resist evil, injustice, and oppression? You know John Wesley, one of the early reasons, one of the reasons of the early Methodist class meetings and, and the, the general rules of the Methodist church is Wesley was making resistance fighters out of people so that we don't perpetuate the hatred, the violence, the ugliness, the division. I mean, we can, we can do that, can't we? Is there anybody here who needs me to give you lessons in how to tick off other people? Don't you pretty much have it down? I mean, but who knows how to grow something different? John Wesley said, the three general rules, first do no harm, do all the good you can, and then attend upon the ordinances of God. We sometimes say stay in love with God, but he means the ordinances, the means of grace, communion and the scripture and prayer and but think about that first one. When he said, first do no harm, he didn't stop there. There's a, we, we, we say, there's a list of what he added to it. it. What he said about doing no harm was resist practicing evil in the most common varieties you find it among yourselves. He's not saying, don't, don't think about some gross evil you've heard about somewhere around the world. Well, I'm not going to do that. But rather he said, what's well, the most commonly practiced evil among you? <laughs> Get it down to your level. And then he listed some in there. And one he put was taking God's name in vain. Another he put was um, failing to worship uh, on the south. But another one he put was, imagine Wesley in the 1800s. Another one he listed was slaveholding. In his day, that was a big issue. And for Wesley to say, we're going to resist slavery. This was before the Civil War. It's a big deal. Followers of Jesus resist evil, injustice, and oppression. That's one of the great things we can do for the world. Uh, then, then he has another paragraph where he says, here's what to resist. Fighting, quarreling, and brawling. <laughs> and returning evil for evil. Somebody ticks you off, so I tick them off back. 
somebody writes about me on Facebook, so I write back. Somebody spreads something about me, so I, I, I retaliate against it. All of this is a way of raising people who, who have something to offer to the world that's not going to occur naturally in the world. That's a Matthew 18 kind of person. And I thought about the children as they came forward today and, and your order. You, you understand why we have an order of worship? The same reason football has an order for football practice and baseball and musicians do too. We're not just at this to see, hope things work out. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come on this earth as it is in heaven. And we're going to pray forgiveness. And we're going to say the affirmation of faith. We're going to sing the doxology. All of this is our training to say, I've renounced that which is opposed to God. I've come here to recognize what is of God, and I'm going to go forth to resist. Letting the world shake me and my family and all those around us back in that same mode. Because if not, it can easily be passed on from generation to generation. So what I think is, um, this is a passage. And so, I preached on it with that little baby. And I wound up saying to the pastor and the church, before I hand you our baby, I just want to know, do you intend to be this kind of church? Because if not, we'll take him somewhere else. If you're going to raise him to be mean and vicious and perpetuate hatred in the world, we don't, we don't, the world will take care of that. We don't need that. But, but if this is going to be a church... If you will promise me now that when he graduates from high school, he's ready to go be the alternative in life. See, I think we can win people to Christ in the church if we'll preach that today. Don't you? That, that in our church, we dedicate buildings because we intend to produce Matthew 18 people. Let's just say it. We will not settle for anything less than children, youth, adults of all ages who are Matthew 18 kind of people and who go out every day. Now, is it possible to do that? Oh, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you, it's possible to decide to do it. Let me tell you a story about that. Five years ago when I got here, I would be in cabinet meetings, all the district superintendents, and we'd be making appointments or talking about the needs of a church. And there was one church uh, that kept coming up again and again, and people would say the most interesting things about it. Well, you know, the thing about that church is it's just fascinating. Uh, is this is a church in Fitzgerald, Georgia. Maybe you've heard of Fitzgerald, Georgia. It's, it's the church that, and they said, interesting thing, over the last 30 or 40 years that we've all known this church, um, we found that um, uh, they, they've had a variety of different kind of pastors. Some had one kind of skill, some had another kind of skill. Some had all kind of talents. Some might have only one or two. Some, some were uh, stronger than others in certain areas. But no matter who the pastor was, they did well there. That church, something about that church makes everything work out okay, whoever the preacher is. And I said, well, I got to know about this. And the reason we were talking about that day is that they had a, we had a pastor there a couple of years ago, five years ago who had just been his first year, he had been diagnosed with a malignant brain tumor. And we were thinking in the cabinet, we got to get him on medical disability so he has some income. we got to find somebody who can be an interim pastor to come in and take care of this church. But they sent a message to us and said, uh, we know you're worried about us. But actually, actually, we think this is a chance for us to be the church. So, Please don't move the preacher. 
Please don't put him on disability. Let his family keep living in the parsonage. Let us be the church. Let us walk with him through surgeries and treatments and whatever comes. Let us, we, we think this is a chance to really be the church. If you don't mess it up, Bishop. <laughs> we think we really have a chance here to be Matthew 18 people. We can lean into a tough situation. And so we did. But I also said, I got to go to that church. <laughs> I got to go meet the people who have that kind of DNA. I need to be around people like that, Matthew 18 kind of people. And so I invited myself to go preach. <laughs> so I pulled up in Fitzgerald. I got out of the car. And before I could get in the church, a fellow came over to me and said, now before you go in, let's show you one thing here. All the streets on this side of town are named after Yankee generals. Whoo, you don't find that in a lot of southern towns. And all the streets on this side of town are named after Confederate generals. Whoo, here's the story. After the Civil War, I never would have thought of this, there were Yankees and Confederates who were what you and I would call displaced people. They didn't have a home to go back to. And the governor of Georgia set aside the land that is Fitzgerald, Georgia, and said, if you fall in the Civil War on either side, you can go stake out land there. You can live there. That sounds like a recipe for disaster to me, but they decided to do that. And so in 1890, the first year after the founding of the city, they are going to have a Thanksgiving Day parade and the, um, the, they decided to keep the peace, uh, let's let the Yankees go first on their parade and clear out. And then the Confederates, former Confederate soldiers, they can do their parade and clear out. The Yankee parade began, and the Confederates looked at each other and said, hey, the war's over. Why don't we join the parade? And they did. They, end, they figured out a way to end the Civil War in Fitzgerald, Georgia. And, they, and right where the Yankee streets and the Confederate streets come together, they built a church. And that's where I was preaching. And it's called Central United Methodist Church because the church belongs right where everybody's ticked off, right where everything's crossed up, right where everything is a mess, right where people have been killing each other. The church is there to say there's another way. And they found it. And the people I met said to me, I'm the great-great-great-great-grandson and the great-great-great-great-granddaughter of some Yankees and some Confederates who in the name of Jesus Christ said, the fighting ends here. The hatred ends here. The violence ends here, and we build a church. Wow. I want to join a church like that. How about you? I said, that's what I'm in it for. Because I know Jesus can make that happen. I think this is a passage of Scripture looking for a church home. <laughs> it's a passage of Scripture saying, I'd like to land somewhere. If somebody will just invite me in. You might think about renewing your baptism today. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil of this world? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? And will you unite yourself with this church? Made up of people of all ages, nations, and races. And we will resist evil, injustice, and oppression in all the sneaky ways they present themselves to us. Thanks be to God that we can dedicate the building and we can dedicate ourselves today to be that church, which is the kind of church the world really needs today. Our hymn is Great is Thy Faithfulness. God's faithfulness has been over these past 81 years, but now this is our chance to say, 
we're going to be this church. We're going to be this Matthew 18 church. And I would say, let's tell people, let's pin ourselves down and say, at our church, we are raising people who overcome polarization and violence and evil. If you want to be a part of it, we invite you to do that. Thanks be to God.